Amen. You should uh, be aware of something this morning. You should be aware that I know my way around a principal's office. And I know my way around a principal's office because I spent a lot of time in the principal's office as a kid. I'll give you a moment to collect yourselves. I know this will come as a shock to many of you. Everybody okay? In my defense, I want to say that none of my offenses were too egregious. I was uh, just one of those kids that you would call rough and tumble. You know the kind of kid? Maybe you have one. They either have an on switch and an off switch. There's nothing in between. I mean, if I was going to play ball on the playground, I had to play a thousand with a thousand percent effort. If I was going to race someone, I had to uh, travel as fast as humanly possible and use whatever means necessary, elbow perhaps, to win. If we were going to play football, football is played by tackling people. So we would play tackle. As you can imagine, as a child, this landed me in the principal's office quite often for having been a bit too rough or taken a game too far or allowed my competitive nature to overrule my good judgment. Each time I would land in the principal's office in that chair, right across from her desk, I would get the same lecture. I would be reminded to slow down. And perhaps a detention would help me learn my lesson. Well, we can all see that clearly that worked. (laughs) Then the principal would say something like this. Matthew, there are rules. There are rules that we have to follow in order to live together while we are at school. These rules are here for a reason. They're here to keep people safe, even on the playground, yourself included. In the reading that we're going to turn to in the book of Acts here in a moment, Peter has broken some rules. He's broken some uh, major Jewish laws, and he's been called into the principal's office. No, you know, he's actually been called in front of the entire school board. Things are not good for Peter. Word has reached the religious leaders that Peter has had what he is calling a conversion experience that has led him to associate with unclean people and eat items that are ritually unclean. Peter has slept in the house of a Roman centurion, a Gentile, Cornelius. Written in the law, this is uh, as plain as day. This was completely out of the question in the Jewish law. Peter has uh, crossed boundaries that have existed for centuries. Peter has broken rules that were major offenses, and he's been called into the church in Jerusalem to explain himself. Now, I want to be fair uh, to the Jewish laws that Peter has broken. These rules were important. They were vital. They were identity-shaping laws for the Jewish community. Jewish dietary laws were handed down from Peter's grandmother's grandmother, grandmother, all the way to him. These uh, These laws were formed 
for the Jewish people when they were in exile as a way to, to live faithfully and to survive under a foreign power. These were laws that created were created to keep people safe in an occupied land. Dietary laws were created and were one way to distinguish who was who and who was safe. These were not uh, uh, merely a series of flippant laws that were made to be broken. No, they were sacred and holy, and some would even argue they were divinely inspired rules. And so when Peter breaks them, the church council calls Peter in to explain himself. And Peter does something remarkable, frankly. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't yell, he doesn't scream, he doesn't lawyer up. No, he shows up, he stands in front of them, and he tells them the truth. Peter tells them his story. He testifies to his experience of God at work in the life of Cornelius. This is what Peter says, as is recorded in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. You can follow along. We're going to read all 18 verses. Now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, You know, I was uh, in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I, uh, I, I saw a vision. There was something, it was like a large sheet coming down from heaven. It's being lowered down by its four corners and it, and, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air. I also heard a voice, a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened to me three times. Then everything was pulled up to heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord. How Jesus had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. 
And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. I've been reading this text for years. I've been reading this very text for years from the book of Acts, and I thought the miracle of this passage was the revelation that Peter had sent from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I've been reading this text and thinking the miracle is that Peter finds justification in, in, in eating with Cornelius, staying at his house. But this past week, I read this text as if for the first time, and I realized maybe the miracle is not with Peter. <laughs> maybe the real miracle lies with the church leaders who actually believe him. This is the church. They're responsible for keeping purity laws. They're responsible for keeping the tradition alive. They're responsible for oversight of polity. And they trust what Peter says to them. They trust that his experience is valid and legitimate. The Holy Spirit showed Peter that God can be at work in the lives of people Peter considered unclean. And Peter witnessed the Holy Spirit at work in Cornelius. The re religious leaders, they don't question Peter further. They don't put him on an administrative commission. No, they believe him. They believe that God has reached across their boundaries to include others. How is that possible? How can a higher level religious committee step across the bounds of their own rules and regulations to include someone or a group of people that they have previously excluded? In my experience, it's only possible it's only possible when we see people beyond the rules that we expect them to fit into. It's only possible when, by the grace of God, we expand our understanding of God and accept the experiences of others as valid. And when we accept the experiences of of others is valid, then we can consider how our rules may be affected. It only becomes possible by the grace of God when we are open to see and hear the divine at work in someone else's life and in someone else's story, no matter their past, no matter, uh, it seems to me, who they love. Certainly, uh, no matter who they voted for in the last election. No matter their gender. No matter their sexual orientation. No matter who they are married to. Certainly, no matter their skin color. 
No matter what they uh, happen to believe about a particular strain of doctrine, certainly no matter where they were born, no matter, well, you fill in the blank. You see, it's in my experience, and time and time, time and time again in Scripture, it seems to me when we come to hear the voice of truth and grace, we come to hear it because God is present in someone else's journey, in someone else's life, in someone else's experience. It's what leads Peter to say to uh, the, the, the church leaders. Listen, y'all, this is, uh, this is what I've experienced. Who am I to hinder God? I believe that is what Christ means when he gives us the new commandment. To love one another as I have loved you. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, love one another as all the laws tell you to? No. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. What does this look like? What does it look like uh, 2,000 years later? I want to take you uh, back uh, just several years ago. Uh, women were not allowed uh, to be in leadership in our denomination. It took some uh, very courageous women to break that barrier for us to understand that the spirit of the living God was as alive in their lives as anyone's. I was told that story because my mentor is a female clergy her name's uh, Jerry Perkins. She was the associate pastor at my home church growing up. And she was ordained in, as a minister of word and sacrament before the ordination of women was uh, very common in the PCUSA. Jerry uh, felt called to ministry as a young girl. She tells the story of uh, going in the backyard and uh, walking in circles and picking daisies and preaching sermons, imagining herself in the pulpit. She would tell me that story, and then I would look at her, and I would say, who does things like that? <laughs> she said, here's the problem, Matthew. I uh, grew up in a rural part of South Carolina. I had never seen a woman preach. I didn't even know female pastors existed. She said, but I had this call. I knew that God was calling me to do something with my life, and so I went to seminary with the intention to get a PhD because I would be allowed to teach. But she said it was clear to me that the Holy Spirit was calling me to pastoral ministry. And so her senior year, she pursued ordination. And let me just say, this was really exciting news for a, a certain group of people. They were really excited about this. And then there were another group of people who were not really excited about this. tells the story of her first Sunday in her first call, that rural church in South Carolina. Uh, not many people in the sanctuary. Uh, the bench, there was a bench right there in the middle of the chancel, and she had to walk over to the pulpit. 
And so it, it, it came time for her to read the scripture lesson for the day and to preach. And so she stood up from that bench. And for every step she took from that bench, there were a group of three women who sat in the back pew. They also stood up, and for every step she took towards the pulpit, they took an equal step towards the door. By the time Jerry got to the pulpit, those women were gone, and the door closed. They didn't believe that women should preach. They had um, good rules to support their argument. They believed that they were living faithfully. Several months later, uh, one of the women ended up in the hospital. She had a, a heart issue. Jerry uh, went to the hospital to, to visit and to pray with her. And then Jerry went back every single day. And each day, something changed between them. The woman began to anticipate Jerry's visits. They began talking for hours, sharing their story with one another. When the woman was well and got out of the hosp hospital, something remarkable happened. Jerry was just about to say, and this is the word of the Lord, when she saw her, that woman who she had been visiting in the hospital walk in the very back door and sit down on the back pew. She would leave right after the sermon, but she would hear Jerry preach. It was just a couple months later when one of the women who had walked out that first day, she lost her mom. Word reached Jerry late in the evening. Uh, she was already asleep, in fact. She got up and she put on her clothes. She brushed her teeth, sort of tried to get her hair looking presentable, and she drove over to that woman's house. Her family had gathered there. Her children were in the living room. Everybody was crying. They were in deep grief. Jerry walked right into the middle of that uh, living room and she prayed for that family. She comforted them in their grief. She met with the family uh, several times over the next several weeks. And on the day of the memorial service, Jerry conducted the service. She even preached the homily. A couple months went by. That third woman who had walked out had not been back to the church. Jerry had not spoken to her, but word reached Jerry that she had just welcomed her first grandchild. <clears throat> Jerry showed up to the hospital to uh, take in that holy and sacred moment of holding a newborn. She took that baby into her arms, she blessed that baby and prayed for that baby. She wasn't letting that baby go. The visit lasted most of the afternoon. Months later, uh, the whole family, there were like 20 of them, they packed into that tiny church. They sat right there in front of the pulpit and they gathered as they presented Elizabeth Ashley for the sacrament of baptism. After Jerry preached the sermon, she walked down to the font and she took Elizabeth Ashley into her arms and she said, Elizabeth Ashley, child of the covenant, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then she made the mark of the cross on Elizabeth Ashley's forehead. You are marked as Christ's own forever. Everybody in that family was crying. Jerry was crying. Friends, we all have lines. All of us have lines, me included, that we think cannot be crossed. Boundaries that are non-negotiable. And we think those boundaries keep us safe. We think those boundaries keep order. But the question will eventually find us that Peter asked of those church leaders that day. Who are we to hinder what God is doing? The good news of the gospel, as I have come to understand it by wrestling with it my whole life, is that Jesus the Christ came to cross every boundary that we have created, every boundary that we could ever create, to teach us the ways of love and life and faith. For he said to them, I give you a new commandment. To love one another as I have loved you. So who do you struggle to love this day? Who do we as a community struggle to love this day? Who do you feel called to love? Despite the risk that it may involve. For I believe in seeking to answer that question, in wrestling with that question, that's where hope and grace and mercy and love await you. That's where it awaits all of us. So who do you struggle to love? And will you seek to answer that question for you this very day? Let us pray. It can be scary, God, to love beyond all we have ever known. We like to know. We like order, and so we pray for the faith to follow you across every boundary. Help us and teach us the ways of your Son, our Lord Jesus the Christ, so that we may know you more fully. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.